Oh, Mr. Francisco over there. <clears throat> Let's have you keep your Bibles open there to Joshua chapter 7, please. Wow, that was half the church. <laughs> when you read chapter 7, it's kind of a gloomy, a doomy chapter when you realize what happened in chapter 6. Chapter 6 was the Battle of Jericho, the tremendous victory over the city. In chapter 7, Israel is defeated in battle. I'd like to do a quick review of chapter 6 and see what's going on and why they were defeated by a much smaller city, a much smaller town called Ai, and they had victory over a much greater one in chapter 6. So if you would look up in chapter 6, back up to verse 15, please. Verse 15, remember the story that they were told to march around Jericho. Let me back up. Remember we saw some archaeological finds that there were walls around Jericho. There were two of them parallel to each other. The first one was about 12 foot high, 6 feet thick, and had a slope on it, making it very difficult for people to climb. Then there was like a no man's land to the second wall, which is parallel to it. It was over 30 feet high and over 12 feet thick. And so... They were told to march around the city one time each day for seven days. On the seventh day, they were to march around the city seven times. Look in verse 15, please. And it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose up early uh, about the dawn of the day, encompassed the city after the same manner seven times. Only on that day, they compassed the city seven times. And it came to pass on the seventh time when the priests blew with the trumpets, Joshua said unto the people, Shout, for the Lord hath given you the city. Look over in verse 20, please. So the people shouted when the priests blew the trump with the trumpets, and it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout, that the wall fell down flat, that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. I remember as a boy when I used to read that, I thought the walls would stand high and they fell flat, they went like that. But if that was true, if they were over six, uh, 12 feet thick, they still couldn't climb over top of them. And I believe that literally what it says, they just literally flat. Maybe they dissolved down to dust, maybe they went down to the ground, but nothing impeded them to march right in and take the city. So it was quite a miracle that both walls just literally maybe just dissolved to dust, nothing there. And they went right in and conquered the city. And, uh, but, and uh, as a result, look in verse 27, please. And the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was noised throughout all the country. Because of this mighty victory and what God did there, the miracle of the walls falling flat and then conquering the city, his fame was traveled throughout all the land. But look in chapter 7, verse 1. I don't like the first word, but. But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the cursed thing for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. Now, what did they do wrong? Something I skipped over. If you would go back to chapter 6, look with me in verse 17, please. Here are some instructions God gave Israel prior to marching in and conquering Jericho. 
in verse 17 of chapter 6, and the city shall be accursed, even it and all that are therein, to the Lord, uh, Lord only. Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that in her house, because she hid the messengers that were sent. Verse 18, and ye in any wise keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest you make yourselves accursed. When you take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. Verse 19, but all the silver, the gold, the vestures, vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord and they shall come into the treasury of the Lord. Now, then when you go to chapter 7, verse 1, evidently someone disobeyed this command. His name was Achan. He took of the accursed thing which belonged to the Lord. And now we're going to see the title of the message is Sin in the Camp. It's amazing how they ultimately defeated Jericho in a mighty way. And they come to a much smaller city called Ai. In fact, so small, they said, don't take a few thousand men and we can conquer it. And they go to conquer it and they fled for their lives. And because of the presence of sin, we must individually must constantly look out for the presence of sin in our lives. Let me give you some things about the presence of sin. Letter A, write it down, please. The presence of sin brings failure, defeat, and ruin. The presence of sin, whether it be in a country or in this place, the people of Israel or in our lives individually, brings failure, defeat, and ruin. Look again, if you will, please, in Joshua chapter 7. Look in verse 2, please. Verse 2. And Joshua... He, by the way, he did not know that someone took the cursed thing. All he knew that he had a tremendous victory in Jericho. His, he was become famous throughout all the land. And it says in verse 2, And Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth Hayden, to the east side of Bethel, and spake unto them, saying, Go up, view the country. And the men went up and viewed Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said unto him, Let not all the people go up. But let about two or three thousand men go up and smite Ai, and make not all the people uh, to th uh, labor thither, for they are but a few. But notice what happened in verse 4. So they went up thither of the people, and about three thousand men, and they what? They fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai smote them, about thirty and six men, for they chased them before the gate, even in the Sherebim, and smote them in the going down, wherefore the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Notice the presence of sin brings failure, defeat, and ruin. Letter B. The presence of sin hinders our prayer life. The presence of sin hinders our prayer life. By the way, did everybody get a handout tonight? Phil, were there any more handouts? I guess everybody got one. All right. The presence of sin hinders our prayer life. Look with me in verse 6, please, of Joshua chapter 7. In verse 6, as a result of the being defeated, 36 men were killed, and their hearts melted as water, verse 6, and Joshua rent his clothes and fell to the earth upon his face before the ark. He fell down prostrate before the Lord and began to pray. And it said in verse 7, And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us 
Would to God we have been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. Did you notice? I'm going to show you. What did he do? He fell on his face and prayed. And look, if you would please, in verse 10. In the middle of his prayer, crying out to God, verse 10, the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up, wherefore liest upon thy face. Israel hath sinned. They have also trespassed my covenant, which I have commanded them. For they have even taken of the cursed thing, and have also stolen, dissembled also, and have put it in among their own stuff. In other words, you know there's some time, how many believe prayer is important? It's very important, but at this time, prayer was not the thing to do. He said, get up off your face. There's a problem that needs to be dealt with. It's called sin. And in other words, sin can hinder our prayer lives. Psalm 66, 18. David said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If you have your Bibles, please, hold your finger right here. Go to Isaiah chapter 59, please. Let me show you what sin would do to our prayer life. Joshua was praying, and God says, stop praying. Get up off your face. There's sin in the camp. Isaiah 59, verse 1, please. Isaiah 59, verse 1. Again, David said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, it doesn't even necessarily be sin in your life, your actions, but in your heart. David said, the Lord will not hear me. But Isaiah 59, verse 1, please. So behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not what? Hear. My friends, sin can hinder our prayer lives. Let her see. Others are affected by our sin. The presence of sin brings failure, defeat, and ruin. The presence of sin hinders our prayer life. Others are affected by our sin. Back in chapter, uh, Joshua chapter 7, I want you to notice how many actually sinned in Israel? One man. Who was affected? All of Israel. One man's sin. We saw back in verse 1 of uh, jo Joshua chapter 7. He said, he said, but the children of Israel committed a trespass and the accursed thing for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, and the tribe of Judah took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against him. Others are affected by our sin. Even though one man sinned, how many people died? Thirty-six men died because of one man's sin. It said in verse 5 of Joshua 7, and the men of Ai smote of them about 36 men and chased them before uh, the gate. Also, all of Israel could not stand before her enemies because of one man's sin. All of Israel could not stand before her enemies because of Achan's sin. Look in verse 12, please. Of Joshua chapter 7. Therefore, the children of Israel cannot stand before their enemies, but turn their backs before their enemies because they were cursed. Neither will I be with you anymore, except ye destroy their cursed from among you. So uh, the presence of sin brings failure, defeat, and ruin. It hinders her prayer life. Others are affected by our sin. And letter D, the presence of sin must be searched out. The presence of sin must be 
searched out. Notice Joshua was commanded to search diligently to find out who sinned. It's interesting. God knew who sinned. He told us up front in, uh, in verse 1. But Joshua had to search it out. Why didn't God just tell Joshua? He sinned. You know, he, he had to search it out. Look with me, will please, in verse 12. I'm sorry, verse 13. The presence of sin must be searched out. Joshua 7, 13. He said, up, sanctify the people and say, sanctify yourselves against tomorrow. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel. There is a cursed thing in the midst of thee, O Israel. Thou canst not stand before the enemies until you take away the cursed thing from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought according to your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord taketh shall be according to the families thereof, and the family which the Lord shall take shall be by household, and the household which the Lord shall take shall be man by man. And it shall be he that is taken with the cursed thing shall be burnt with fire, he and all that he hath, because he hath transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he hath wrought folly to Israel. So that's God's instruction. Now look at exactly what Joshua did, exactly what God told him to do, verse 16. And Joshua rose up early in the morning and brought Israel by the tribes. The tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought the family of Judah. And he brought the family of the Zarhites and brought the family of Zarhites man by man, and Zabdi was taken, and he brought his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah, was taken. So he did exactly what God said. He had to diligently search out sin. Notice it, that, that he searched by tribe, then by family, then by household, and finally man by man. Did you know the Bible says we are to search out sin in our lives? We are to search out sin in our lives. Psalm 139, I love this, some, uh, this uh, uh, psalm here. It'd be very appropriate for the Lord's Supper. You're going to have a few moments. David said, search me, O God, and know my heart, and try me and know my what? I, I, you know, David could have searched his own life, but David didn't trust his own judgment. He went to the one who knew him best. He went to the Lord and said, Lord, you search me, O God, and you try me. Psalm 44, 21. Shall not God search this out? For he knoweth the secrets of the heart. So David asked the Lord to search him and bring to his attention. And someone said this, either you find your sin or your sin will find you. Let me say that again. Either you find it or it will find you. Josh, excuse me, Numbers 32, 23. But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will what? Find you out. And that exactly what happened to Achan. He sinned. Nobody else knew about it, but he and I'm going to show you he and his family. All Israel did not know anything about it, but all Israel suffered because of his sin. And by the way, his sin found him out and found him out completely. So that's the presence of sin. Number two, now look at the progress of sin. The progress of sin. First of all, we must guard against the progress of sin. Look in verse 19, please, of Joshua. And notice the progress of sin in verse 19. Let's begin in uh, verse 19. And Joshua said unto Achan, by the way, Achan was the man who was found among the people of Israel. 
He said, My son, I pray thee, give glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession unto him. Tell me now what thou hast done, and hide it not from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. And notice in verse 21, notice the progress of sin here in verse 21. And if you don't mind underlining your Bible, at least highlight it, maybe circle it, at least they make a mental note. Notice the progress of sin in Achan's life. Number, uh, verse, uh, verse 21, he said, And when I saw, circle the word I saw. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonian garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold, 50 shekels weight, and I coveted, circle that please. I coveted. I saw... I coveted them and goes on to say, and took them. Circle the word took them. I saw, I coveted, and I took, took them. And behold, they are hid. Circle the word hid. They're hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. Notice the, the progress of sin. He said, I saw, I coveted, I took and I hid. Did you notice here? Notice sin begins in the mind. It begins in your thoughts. He said, when I saw, I coveted, and I took. Hope you write this down. Look on your screen there, please. You can fill in the blanks. It says, watch your thoughts. They become your actions. Watch your actions. They become your habits. Watch your habits, they become your character. Watch your character, it becomes your destiny. Let me say that again, it's on the screen there. Watch your thoughts, that's where it begins. Your thoughts will become your actions. Remember, he saw, then he coveted, then he took. Watch your actions, they become your habits. Watch your habits, they become your character. Then watch your character becomes your destiny. In other words... Thoughts lead to actions that create habits which form character that leads to destiny. Notice where sin begins. It begins in your mind, in your thoughts. That's the progress of sin. We saw the presence of sin, the progress of sin. Now look at the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin. Look with me, would please, in verse 22. We must never forget the penalty of sin. In verse 22... It says here, so Joshua sent messengers and they ran unto the tent and behold, it was hid in his tent and the silver under it. And they took them out of the midst of the tent and brought them unto Joshua, unto all the children of Israel and laid them out before the Lord. And notice in verse 24, before we read verse 24, I look on the screen, please. We must never forget the penalty of sin. What's the penalty of sin, by the way? Death. James 1.15 says this. Talks about, and sin, when it is finished, it bringeth forth death. When it is finished, it brings forth death. Now, to the Christian, it, it will not be spiritual death. It will not be hell. But sin can bring physical death. There is a sin unto death in 1 John chapter 5 that a believer can do. They can actually can they lose their life physically. God will take their life away from them physically because of sin in their life. We know it's never forget. But notice Achan was put to death for his sin. Look in verse 24. And Joshua and all Israel took him 
took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver, and the garment, and the wedge of gold, and his sons, and his daughters, and his oxen, and his asses, and his sheep, and his tent, and all that he had, and brought them unto the valley of Achor. Verse 25, And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And Israel stoned him with stones. So because of his sin, he was killed. But notice not only he was killed, Achan's sons and daughters died also. Achan's sons and daughters died also. Look in the latter part of verse 25. After they stoned him with stones, and all Israel stoned him with stones, and burned, what's it say? Them, plural, with fire after they had stoned them with stones. So not only did Achan die, all his family died because of his sin. And you say, Pastor, that sounds cruel. That why would all his family die, all his children die because of his sin? I believe the implication is they knew of the sin, maybe had part in it. Let me read a verse to you. You can write it down. Deuteronomy 24, 16 says this. The fathers shall not be put to death for their children. Neither shall the children be put to death for the fathers. Every man shall be put to death for their own sin. The implication is not only did Achan sin, but also his children. They were implicit in the sin also. So all his family died because of his sin. Let it be, no one would prosper because of Achan's sin. No one would prosper because of Achan's sin. We must never forget the penalty of sin, and no one should prosper because of his sin. It says, notice the items he stole, his animals, his tent, all his possessions were burned. He lost everything. You know, I believe if he knew this happened, he never chose to do it to start with. Don't you think that? We ought to learn from the people's examples and what they went through. Next time you're tempted to sin, remember the, the cost of sin. And lastly, let us see, God will turn away his wrath when sin is dealt with. God will turn away his wrath when sin is dealt with. In verse 26, And they raised over him, after they stoned him a stone, they raised over him a heap of stones in this day, so the Lord turned from his fierce of his anger. Because Israel was willing to deal with the sin problem in her midst, God's burning anger was turned away, and he was ready to lead them to victory once again. My friend, we should never forget the presence of sin. We should never forget the penalty of sin and the progress of sin. My friend, sin is devastating. We need to realize when we're tempted what sin may cost you. Now, how does this apply to us? Now, this is a story. It was a true story. A man lost his life. All Israel was affected because of one man's sin. Sin was dealt with, and the next battle, they went to victory again because they dealt with sin. How does this apply to us today? I'm glad you asked. Look on your screen there, please. Proverbs 28, 13. He that covereth his sin shall not, what? Prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Boy, it's so easy to cover our sins, is it not? You say, nobody knows. My friend, somebody does know. God knows. I'm sure Achan said that. Nobody knows. I'm going to hide it. He knew, and it cost him his life. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesses, forsaketh them, shall have mercy. Go with me now to Psalm 32, please. Turn with me there. Psalm 32. 
This was David's sin. Well, you know, David was a, titled a man after God's own heart. And David was guilty of adultery and murder. And he confesses his sin in Psalm 51. You get a chance to read that. But notice in Psalm 32, again, he talks about during the time it was silent. How long did David live in unconfessed sin? We know it was at least maybe around nine months. Because who was it that confronted David for his sin? The prophet Nathan. And one of the consequences of David's sin, he says, your son that's born unto you shall die. So remember, because of his sin, Bathsheba had become pregnant and bore a son. So at least, how long does a pregnancy usually last? Eight, nine months have passed. Now the son's alive. Does not say how old he was. And his son died because of his sin. But while he was silent, for nine months he lived in unconfessed sin. Look in Psalm 32, verse 3. When I kept what? Silent. My bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. He began to affect him physically. Physically, my bones just waxed old and roaring all the day long. Verse 4, for day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moistures turned into drought of the summer. Otherwise, it began to affect him physically. Even though he was silent, Day and night, God was working on him. God was convicting him. God was not give up on him. God did not turn his back on him, though he turned his back on God. But verse 5, look what he says. And this was at least nine months later after confronted by Nathan. He said, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and my iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgression unto the Lord. And now what? But gave us the iniquity of my sin. How many know First John 1, 9? If we confess our sin, he's what? He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness. Is there any sin tonight you need to confess? My friend, there is no greater time to do self-inspection, to search your heart when we approach the Lord's table. It's a time to do that. Joshua in chapter 7, verse 19, let me read it to you. If you're still there, you can look at it. But Joshua 7, 19. Here's what Joshua said to Achan after he was found. My son, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel. Make confession unto him. Tell me now what thou hast done and hide it not from me. If by chance tonight there's something in your life that's not pleasing to the Lord. What a good verse applied to there, to you. God is saying to you, my son, give me glory. Make confession unto God. Tell him now what thou hast done and hide it not from him. And that's what we need to do. Go with me now to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Tonight we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. To remember his death and what he did for us on the cross. And during this time, in preparation for communion, one thing we're told to do, we're going to see 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Look with me in verse 18. 1 Corinthians eleven eighteen. 18. Let's see if I got the right one. I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry, about 18, verse 28. I can't read my own writing. 1128. Here it talks about the Lord's Supper. At verse 27, he says, Whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Basically, if you come to the Lord's table with known sin in your life, you're coming unworthily before the Lord, and you're guilty of the body and blood of Christ. How can we remedy that? Look in verse 28. But let a man examine his neighbor or his spouse. Does it say that? I'm sorry. Let a man examine who? Himself. We're good at examining others, are we not? But we're told here to examine ourselves. And let him eat the bread and drink the cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation unto himself, not discerning the Lord's body. The word damnation isn't talking about going to hell. It's talking about judgment. Look up here, please. Coming to the Lord's table is very serious. And we're told as we approach the Lord's table, we're going to drink the cup and eat the bread, we're told to examine our lives. Because if we come with sin in our lives, basically it's saying here that we're coming unworthily and we're bringing judgment upon ourselves. How do we deal with this? If tonight, if you're here and there's something in your life that's not pleasing the Lord, I don't know about it, but two people do. You know who it is? It's you and God. And so we're saying, if you would judge yourself, God won't have to. Look down, if you would, please, in verse 31. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord. So if there's sin in your life, this is a time of self-examination. If you find sin, it's a time of judgment, to judge yourself. For example, if it was me, some of my life, you know what I would say? I'd say, David, you're doing something that's not pleasing to God. You have sinned, and you need to make it right. And the Bible said, if I cover my sin, I shall not prosper. But whoso confess and forsake them shall have what? Mercy. And John said, if I confess my sin, he's faithful and just to forgive my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. So we judge ourselves. In just a moment, is the pianist going to come? He's here tonight. We have one. Here she comes. Thank you. We're going to have her play in just a moment. And as she plays, why don't you search your heart? Just like Joshua did all Israel and found out the guilty party. Why not search yourself? He said, Pastor, I, I, not, I don't trust myself. Then pray as David said, Lord, you search my heart. You try me and see if you find any wicked way in me. So while she plays, let's do a self-examination. Let's ask God to search our hearts and see if there be any wicked way in us. If there is a time of confession, time of forsaking, God says you shall have mercy and forgiveness. So let's take a few moments to do that as the piano plays.
Our Father in heaven, we come to you tonight asking you to search our hearts. Father, many times we are very good about overlooking things that are wrong in our lives. Sometimes we know they're there, sometimes we don't know. But Father, you do. It's our desire to come to you with pure hearts and a clean mind. So Father, we ask you would search us and know our hearts and try us. See if there be any wicked way in us. And Father, you bring that to our attention. We will acknowledge it. We will confess it and seek your forgiveness. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your cleansing. And that we might be right before you when we partake of the Lord's Supper tonight. Press in Jesus' name. Amen. You would, usually I think it's in the chair in front of you, in the metal grate in the chair in front of you, there's a little uh, cup there, a communion cup. You take that out, please. This is for those of you who know Christ the Savior. If you're, whether you're a member or not, that's not an issue. If you've trusted Christ the Savior, we encourage you to take part in this very special part of the service, which we call communion, the Lord's Supper. If you would go ahead and peel off the bottom part there. Put a little wafer and take that out. Once you got that out, look in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Look with me in verse 23. Paul said, For I have received the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Lord, we thank you so much for this time um, that we have tonight to reflect on uh, what you are willing to do for us um, because of how much you loved us that uh, even though we sinned and we were unable to make a way for our own salvation, you were willing to send your son down to this earth, have his body broken and bruised and humiliated by his own creation. We thank you so much for that love and, and for what this bread represents. We ask that this wouldn't just be a, a few moments that we think about this and, and remember your sacrifice, but this will be a, a reminder for us every day that we live of your love for us. We we've ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The little wafer we just partook of uh, is representative of the body of Christ. It does not become his body. It's symbolic of his body and how it was broken for us on the cross of Calvary. The next we have, you would peel back the part and we'll get out the juice ready. This represents the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, how it was shed for us on the cross. And it says there in verse 25 of chapter 11, 1 Corinthians, And after the same manner also he took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do is often you drink it in remembrance of me. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the blood, and at times we look back upon uh, early times when 
sacrifices were brought to the priest at the tabernacle were to be slaughtered. The bullocks, the sheep, and all the blood that was spilt and pointed to a coming Savior, the perfect Lamb of God, that would give his blood for the sins of the world. And we thank you that you are that supreme sacrifice, the Lamb of God. When we think of the blood that flowed from your precious body, that holy blood, that sinless blood, that royal blood that dripped from the crown of your head, from your hands, your side, that dripped down your legs to the toes and dripped on the earth at the foot of the cross to pay the sin debt for each and every one of us. Thank you for that. May we never forget that it's the blood that makes us whole. It's the blood that forgives us. It's the blood that cleanses us from sin, from guilt, from shame. So, Father, may we always remember what you did for us. And, God, may we always remember the love behind it. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. The Bible says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. I'm so grateful for the rich, red, royal blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The blood that washes us from our sin for salvation, but continues to wash us for fellowship we can have with him. I'm grateful for the blood of Christ. The Bible says, after they partook of the, uh, the supper, they, uh, they sang a song and were dismissed. So let's stand together, please. And Terry's going to come and close us in a hymn. As we do every time, we have a man at the back door with an offering plate, which we take of an offering for those who like to have part in that, a benevolence offering for anyone in our church or maybe some outsiders that need uh, help financially, and we use that benevolence fund to do just that. So let's stand together. You already stand. If you would, if you would reach over to the hand of the person beside you, and we're going to close. Bless me the tie that binds, and we'll close with this. dismissed.